to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host. Hi, Ron. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Ben Pritchard, and welcome to another episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. Today we'll be diving into the world of information management, digital twins, innovation in construction and any other tangent that our conversation goes on this morning. Uh, joining me today uh, for today's podcast is our special guest, Henry Fembry taylor who is the Head of Information Management at CDBB, or the Came no Centre for no. Digital Built Britain. Nailed um, it, well done. Only, just, just, almost got it wrong. Uh, too many acronyms in construction in general. Maybe that can be one tangent that we can yes. do later. No, we should the, move from three to four letter acronyms and then to five. Oh, so you uh, just we should, I think we should expand. Expand. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it would, I guess, make it easier to differentiate between acronyms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back onto topic. Uh, but do you want to give us a quick introduction to yourself first, please, Henry? Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Henry Fenby-Taylor. As Ben said, I'm the Head of Information Management at the Centre for Digital Built Britain. Uh, I'm also uh, working with the University of Cambridge, I, I work with the Digital Twin Fan Club and um, I have been uh, in a privileged position to see behind the curtain in policy innovation in the built environment and so kind of here to share some of those lessons and some of those things that I've learned and some of the things that I think we need to do in the future and also uh, answer any other questions you may have, no matter how profound. How profound. Yes. Oh, it's a bit of pressure on I me. Mean, I've never had that from a guest before. Okay. So put the pressure on before we even start it. If we don't get a profound question, <laughs> not good enough. Uh, well, we always say the most important question, though, is the first question of every podcast. Absolutely. 100%. And uh, that question is, Henry, what did you have for breakfast today? Right. Um, I, I mean, I did have breakfast today, which is a good start. Um, I, I had... Uh, <laughs> I, I made... Uh, Swedish meatballs and pasta mash, mash from scratch this morning. Uh, I mean, that is a good effort as well, in the morning, because it is 11 o'clock, yeah. and you've already had a couple of meetings before coming here, so you yeah. must have got up quite early. Yes. A mission yes. for breakfast. Well, I, you know, uh, I've got a very busy day today. I finish at, at 9 o'clock. We have a, a CDPP reception at the Royal Academy of Engineering, so uh, I knew I was going to have a full day, so I kind of wanted to start with a full tank. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I wasn't going to try and survive on a, a croissant and a cup of coffee. That makes sense. And any gravy? Um, uh, so, made an onion jus with it, um, of course. So, you know, you're doing that. The meatballs have uh, parsley and dill in, and obviously they're kind of uh, juices come out of the, uh, of the pork. So, uh, saute some onions with that. Uh, and then a little bit of a stock cube to kind of thicken it all together, and then yeah. So there you go. I you, mean, you asked. I did. I did. <laughs> I mean, asked. that's a certainly unique start to the podcast. Oh, we've, uh, like I said to you, we've had a lot of answers. We had. Well, I did invite you to the construction big breakfast. Yes. <laughs> and that proves you're not. I thought you were going to. You've not watched it, and you've clearly not watched an episode yet. So come on. You've got 80 episodes I'll make to go it home to all the viewers and terrible. I'll be there. I'll terrible. Be there and become your number one fan. <laughs> Good. Good. I want you to like and subscribe later when you get home, please. Um, so, should we start with um, sort of a little bit more about yourself, your role in sure. uh, CDBB, and the role of CDBB in general? You know, there's a lot of yeah. uh, moving parts um, around the whole uh, trying to make the 
industry better, the value toolkit, the 70 whatever million from government a few years ago to try and improve things, the roadmap, all these things that people see here but maybe don't understand how it all fits together, what CDBB's role is in all that, mm. um, and maybe to a greater or lesser extent, what's the point? Mm. I mean, it's a fair question. That's a fair question. I think I'll, I'll start with that kind of overall, what is it and what's going on, because I think that is something people uh, sometimes struggle with. Um, I think when you're putting out loads of information, you kind of sometimes lose sight of that core principle of this is who we are and this is what we're about. So, I mean, fundamentally, the Centre for Digital Built Britain was built on the vision for Digital Built Britain, um, which at the time really focused around having this kind of, it was BIM level three, you know, um, which at the time I think is actually more a realistic option than we thought it was. <laughs> we all kind of laughed at BIM level three and thought that'll never happen. And you know? that was uh, one of the last things that the coalition government mm. produced and it all died quite quickly when the coalition government so that yes. was almost we started report on that basis like you say BIM level three that was the germination of the idea was it yeah exactly so that's when the center uh, was first funded so then it was about kind of creating that roadmap to achieve um, a digital Britain. but it, it kind of turned into I think yeah that was uh, Having, I mean, the vision of BIM Level 3, for those of you that don't know, is a um, basically a concurrent 3D model with all the information in that everybody can access and be a part of. Which, and it was long before uh, the idea of the metaverse had been pitched, but obviously the matrix has been around for ages, so potentially that was a goer. But ultimately, <laughs> long before we started using the term digital twin for everything. Long before that, exactly. So, hmm. So that's, I mean, that's where it started, um, and then it kind of, it needed to shape and focus that vision into something that a government could do something about, because the, the UK government's not really in the business of creating proprietary software and, you know, developing tools that it is going to enter a marketplace, which is somewhat, I think, the, the, that vision of a concurrent, you know, through the model. Um, with asset information, blah, 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 etc. You know, the metaverse is really something that needs to be proprietary. So it kind of needed to steer towards, right, how do we, you know, we've got the BIM level two mandate back then. How do we make that better? How do we implement that? But how do we also kind of better understand what it is the government's trying to achieve? So, you know, there's, I mean, I think the first mention of uh, procurement problems is in the 1944 report, yeah. and then 48 is when <coughs> it was officially published. But um, yeah, everyone goes back to Egan and Latham, but yes, there was an awful lot before that, yeah, yeah, which a lot of people, really, unless you're outside academia, don't realise no. that even the call for off-site manufacturing, yeah. And, yeah. And all of these things, you know, the reports in the 60s, 50s, <laughs> all of it. <laughs> So we're really proving it's an industry we're great at yes. <laughs> jumping on these things. Although now we do seem, a lot, for the most part, to be turning a corner. I think so. I think so. I, I'd say the, the, um, we need to play on the built environment strengths more. I think what we're good at is innovating in a unique circumstance and delivering something that's never been delivered before. I think that's, that's, the, that's the true strength of the built environment. But with that doesn't help your productivity you know it helps you make something unique and that works and that operates in it within its you know parameters and, and really well but if you try and systematize that 
it kind of breaks down mm -hmm. a, a little bit. Um, I think also modern methods of construction, I think uh, people uh, of a generation or a couple of generations older uh, uh, above us um, probably view uh, that idea as prefab and they view it as this sort of, you know, there's this legacy of post-war, yeah. big concrete block, post-war prefab, you know, mm -hmm. people think about, um, you know, kind of the, the swathes of Russian apartment buildings that you see on the internet every now and again that is just, you know, these kind of faceless, soulless places. Um, so I think there's this kind of negative connotation with, with that then, but now I think things have changed because, you know, modern methods of construction and all that sort of stuff is just standard and, you know, it's all beautifully designed and customizable and, you know, mm. there's a lot, of, a lot more that you can do now than you can do. I'm using material like wood and things like that, you know, yeah. CLT and stuff like that. I mean, everything that you see outside mm. uh, in our office, all that was CNC cut, all put together in a nice sort of schematic, um, sort of, you know, you could argue that a lot of that is MMC, mm. a very basic level for the fit out that we did. Um, and it's great and it looks light, airy, bright, all these things that you get lost in, in this idea of people just go straight to polymetric, big boxes, all the same, mm. soulless, like you say. It was a specific challenge that they were facing at the time, so you know, I don't, I don't blame them for it, but I think, you know, when you put one next to, um, like they used to, you know, like a beautiful old building with, you know, a lo lovely filigree and detail, I think people balked at that, but things have changed now, so I think there's a lot of, a lot going for it. Um, so, I've still haven't answered the question. So we start with this kind of digital built Britain thing, and there was this, this vision of that, and then it, it kind of tried to turn into something that government and government clients could, to, could turn on. So there's been a lot of work done around procurement. Um, this new standard kicking off about um, specification of the UKPIM framework. Uh, we've done, um, commissioned a, a couple of uh, reviews from uh, David Mosey, and he's come up with mm -hmm. a new contracting model as well. Um, so there's a, a number of different tools uh, available, um, and I think that is really been the focus for the centre. We've been working with government, with government clients, to support them because... Not just with government though, mm. um, you know, True. with the Innovation Hub, the university, and lots of people from the industry as well. We, yeah. par we partner a lot, so yeah. I, I, so in terms of that kind of, that landscape, so the Centre for Digital Build Britain started, but then um, we kicked off the uh, National Digital Twin uh, programme um, so that work uh, kind of was part of CDBB, so that's uh, very much been led by Mark Enzer, and that's gotten us to a position, I'd say, where we understand the, the problem and the scope of it a lot better, um, but in the words of, of Matthew West, who's kind of, you know, the, the big ontologist who, who, who's kind of big claim to fame is having sorted out uh, Shell's uh, information and data management because they operated like you know, 100, 100 separate companies. So he's managed to kind of bring that together, so he was the right guy for the job. Um, he, you know, he says, this isn't a five-year job, this is a 15-year job to get this right. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm from an agile background, so I'm like, can't we do a proof of concept? <laughs> so, I mean, but we've done that. We, we, we've actually, it, there's so much, I didn't even realize, and I've tried to do a lot of work to kind of share the work that we've been doing. Um, but there's been so much digital twin stuff that's been going on, you know, really specific digital twin stuff, you know, um, GDPR compliant sensing, you know, things that are ethically sound but also enable us to monitor how people use space and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, so the, there's kind of national digital twin looking at the big picture, but then within CDBB, we've also been looking at, you know, like I say, sensing mm -hmm. and kind of uh, remote sensing. So there's a satellites project for kind of having a, uh, a digital twin of really remote assets when you, you know, like rail infrastructure and road infrastructure in lot, like vast places like Canada, you, you can't it's probably not feasible to go and cable up every single bridge with 30 sensors each. It's a lot easier to have reflectors set up and then ping satellites off them and you'll notice, you know, they can notice amazing amounts of uh, a resolution of movement and, and changes so that they'd be able to pick, pick that up. It's really clever. So yeah, we've kind of done that as well, which is really interesting. But then we've also started working with the Construction Innovation Hub, which is much more the MMC sort of stuff mm -hmm. as well. How it all fits in, how yeah. it all benefits the industry for those flower and lead uh, approach. That's the, the longest introduction uh, probably we've ever had, Henry, but it was a good one. Uh, a few tangents in there. And I think it does frame not just what you've been up to, but also sort of uh, what the industry is trying to do, what the industry yeah. is trying to uh, achieve. Mm. Uh, and it is um, and it is exciting. I mean, one word you've used uh, a lot um, in that introduction, and one word that we see plastered all over the industry at the moment is digital twins. Um, and it is a word that uh, can cause. Um, a Twitter argument quite quickly mm -hmm. um, is a word that no one will agree what it really means. No. Um, and in some ways, I mean, it reminds me a lot of the arguments and discussions that were happening about BIM mm -hmm. um, not that long ago. Yeah. And although I disagree with some of the marketing around digital twins, um, what I do think is that it's a really useful phraseology and tool to actually get people interested in the conversation exactly. in the same way that BIM Level 2 did yeah. uh, before it was properly defined. It's better than BIM Level 2 because BIM Level 2 to a layperson sounds very technical and processy because it is and you know sometimes that important infrastructure is a bit isn't it sexy you know you get a nice sexy 3D model out of it but you know it's so what is the Henry Fenby Taylor sexy definition for digital twin? Not the I I I well I I'll, I'll, I'll give my standard response first. Okay, so my standard response is when we interviewed Michael Greaves, who came up with the idea. Well, he got the idea from his friend Harry Vickers. Uh, but anyway, it was called information model mirroring initially before they called it digital twins, and uh, you know he coined digital twins because. It sounded better. I think, I think, <laughs> I think it's a quote, direct quote from a conversation we had. And then in a later kind of conversation, I went back to him about, you know, there was some Twitter spouse and LinkedIn spat about what a digital twin was. And his response was the best. It's an analogy. Don't read too much into it. And I loved that as a response. <laughs> it's, you know, and I think that's, that's the danger of, uh, of things like digital twins and BIM and, and, and innovation uh, in general is that, you know, it needs a neat tag, otherwise how do you know what you're doing? So I think that's why digital twins really works, because the concept is really easy to explain. So a digital twin for me is a way of, and I would tailor it to the person I'm talking to, so if they're in logistics, I would talk about logistics, if they're in, you know, rail, I talk about rail, so for a rail client, you know, I would say something along the lines of a digital twin is a way of um, having on-time feedback from your system that you can intervene and make changes to. 
and that's I think that's kind of the, the base level for mm -hmm. me because you know you can add in analytics and automated decision making and you can add in all these extra things but really it's that feedback loop mm -hmm. for me it's um you know and everybody argues within each of those points don't they so is it real time no 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 it's on time okay what's on time well that depends on the on the situation because you know there's there's some data that just isn't available every day some data comes through once a week so don't worry about that that's just we have the right data we need that's accurate and right and you know for the purposes we need it for and it helps us understand what we're doing with whatever it is we're doing and i think that includes things like the design and construction process i don't you know i i think um a common data environment having uh kind of live uh, information about how your projects are kind of proceeding is a form of digital twin as long as you know it's on time and you know it's accurate etc and you're able to action something with that then you are digital twinning your process um so yeah i i don't want to go into like that real level of depth about the timings mm -hmm. the uh the exact kind of data exchanges that need to take place and the exact um the exact conditions that have to be met because if it's about feedback and it's uh it's that feedback loop of of good data that makes good decisions. Yeah, so at the heart of it, for you, a digital twin in whatever representation that forms, it's all about being able to turn data into knowledge and um, sort of foresight for what's coming next and being able to make actionable, um, insightful decisions around it. Yeah. So as long as you're making best use of your data, you don't care in some no. ways. No, I, I, yeah, I, um, I, I think um, going to the nth degree trying to classify it will actually kill the golden goose in this sense because it, if it takes on this highly technical highly structured definition which is accurate but unintelligible I would say that we we will lose the spirit of digital twins which was the purpose of doing it in the first place which is you know let's let's create better systems let's create transparency let's manage with data so we know what we're doing you know I think we'll lose sight of that if we, you know, make sure that we, we are. And what, we, what we've got to be careful of as well is if we overcomplicate it, mm. you're only going to get the high-speed twos of the world, the big projects, the people who can afford it, who actually use it. Mm. Whereas we're a very large organisation with all sorts of different size, shapes of projects, companies and stuff like that. And that must be one of the difficult things when you are working, sort of policy side and things like you have been, is actually having something that it will never fit all, Mm. But you want something that has the flexibility to fit most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really difficult. I mean, cost is is going to be an issue. You know, um, certainly things like the national digital twin. If we're going to have more open data sets, which we absolutely need, um, someone has to pay for that. Someone has to host that. Someone has to keep that up to date. You know, there's all that sort of there's all those sorts of moving parts you need from you know hardware, software, and data that you need to kind of keep up up to speed to, to make it work, which can be overwhelming if you try and boil the ocean. But mm -hmm. you can do something very lightweight. I think it's really about you know what decisions are we trying to make, what can we what data can we gather to do something about them and what else do we learn? Because I think that from what I've seen there's there's loads of as fringe benefits you get from digital twins. People see things they didn't realise. I think one of the uh, railway bridge projects we did um, was 
just sensing the load on the bridge, um, but they were able to identify what train it was based on its um, basically how it resonated the bridge. They worked out the weight and using the timers, you know, they could see they could tell if it was freight or passenger. You know, they could get all these extra insights. So I think, you know, you. You need a solid business case to start a digital twin, but I think once you've kind of got that thin end of the wedge, you start seeing other things you didn't know that you could see. Yeah, I mean, one of my favourite analogies for using better data, um, I, um, for years now, I've been um, judging the C uh, Digital Award, the mm. Nexus Digital Award, and there was a couple of years ago now, uh, it was um, a developer asset owner, and they started looking at how do they at bring all their data together, make sense of it all, try and sort of look at trends. And they worked out that they uh, were spending, I think it was like 20, 25,000 per annum on replacing loo roll handles. Um, and mm. they were like, how on earth are we spending so much money on something like that? Yeah. Um, their assets are predominantly um, uh, old people's homes, and it was being used as a way to help them because it was so a simple design change. Yes. Move it slightly. Higher, put the bar a little bit lower. Yeah. And saving a fortune. Yeah. But because it was only, you know, a couple of quid for the unit, a couple of hours for the maintenance, it wasn't being picked up mm. until they created a bit of a data lake so that they could properly look through the data and look for those trends. Something small can all of a sudden become quite insightful once you know what you're looking at and how you're looking at it. Yeah. Uh, um, I interviewed... Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, from Wellington, New Zealand, I was with Amelia Burnett when she joined us on that podcast. It was great um, for the Digital Twin Fan Club. And um, they were able to um, line up where uh, specific problems were happening in the city that they didn't know what they were. I think it was really funny because they, they, it was a prosaic example, but there was a small, unmarked um, step that was on a bank. It was just just small enough to clip you, but people kept breaking bones on on this thing, and it became a hot spot. So eventually, eventually, you know, after a few of these things, like why is there why is this an accident hot spot? They found it, and then they they changed the step and turned it into a ramp so as to kind of avoid that that drama. And I was like, that's not an insight you would go into mm. digital twinning expecting to find. Is that you know we've coordinated a emergency services because you know they had an earthquake while the digital twin was being developed so it had to be used for that as well you know um, these sorts of insights but bringing data together in a secure way meant that they could you know just make a tiny little intervention like that that really is actually that's saving it's saving lives and it's saving hundreds of thousands in in medical costs mm -hmm. as well you know it's, it's unreal mm. No, it is, and, and you know, construction, if it's done right and thought mm. through properly, can have a positive, transformative um, impact on everyone involved. Mm. Um, and that is you know, something I think we don't uh, play on enough as an industry to sort of inspire existing employees and future generations to get more involved. You, know, you really want to make a difference in sustainability in people's lives and all these things. This is the industry for you. Mm. And becoming more information-led, digital-led, and all those things, just again, make it even more accessible for everyone. Yeah. Um, so if you're new to all this, mm. you know, so you know, take your policy hat on and more of a sort of a consultancy, sure. uh, but not okay. too much, you know, come to us, not him. <laughs> uh, but you're interested in understanding how to get more involved or get your 
um, organization uh, looking at digital twins, mm. at all the stuff that CDBB, Innovation Hub and all that is going, where, where do you start? Where do you point people to, to start getting an understanding other than this podcast, obviously? Uh, this podcast, um, then that's it. I walk away and say, you need to check out. Uh, or you need to call in then is not a thing I say. Uh, but I would do. I would do. Honestly. We'll no. that part. <laughs> no, I, I think where, where to get started is, is a really interesting question. Um, we uh, ran a really successful uh, hackathon uh, last week. Uh, which was my baby, so it was really good to see that uh, come to fruition. And uh, you see, I've been to a few hackathons in construction now, and you see a few you know, different faces. And we had uh, a group of uh, young professionals who um, uh, were, you know, some of them were studying, you know, at the, the University of Cambridge. Uh, others were, you know, in consultancy, but they were they were coming from a non-construction place, but with very uh, very advanced tech skills mm. and so talking to them about kind of how to get started um, it, it's really challenging because you, you, you kind of uh, you, you have to show them the problems that people have and then they can solve them and then they can kind of get that understanding through doing and I think that's um, for young people like that I think that's the way to do it is we need to unleash them we don't um, we don't need to indoctrinate them into the way things are currently done. I think we just need to show them the problems that we have and listen. Uh, and I think that's, that's my genuine take for these kind of, um, you know, a lot of the new entrants in, into our industry is uh, we need to be listening to them a lot more because, um, you know, I was one of those first generations who kind of grew up coding and gaming and all that sort of stuff, whereas, you know, that stuff is mainstream now and, you know, People come out um, with very strong coding, networking, um, you know, software skills, all that sort of stuff. So for for those that I just point them at some problems. <laughs> Check it out. What do you think? And then the soon guy, why do you do it like this? And I, I don't know. That's just what we do. So you know, that's what we've always suggest said. suggest yeah. an alternative, and we'll, we'll take it. And it was certainly one of the most frustrating phrases I heard in my early days of um, of working in construction and coming from a highly regulated um, industry as well. Yes. It was, yes, well, that's not how we've always done it. And yes. thought, well, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. If we're honest at this stage, yeah. we're doing something very different. The tools and everything that we've got around us are very different to 50 years ago. So, sure, yeah, by yeah. Now, I think things are changing. And I think also, um, I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. I think, you know, when you're talking to senior decision makers, um, I think you really need to change how you talk about it because you know if you're in this space it's very easy to get really focused on exactly what specific metrics we're using and how it demonstrates your return on innovation investment you know I love that I love that stuff but when you're talking to senior decision makers you know depending on their role but you need to talk much more about the why you know what is the benefit not just to the organization but to society mm. And I, you know, it's kind of builds on your point from earlier about you know this is an exciting and an impactful industry to be in. Is that you know as we come to understand better the sustainability impact, which was the subject of the hackathon, by the way, um, we don't actually have the data um, to leverage on on what interventions we need to make. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're using uh, as a sector worldwide, we're using all sorts of Excel spreadsheets mm -hmm. and you know custom custom functions and custom equations to try and work this out. But I think we're heading towards a place where we can just 
measure. We can just measure. So um, when we're talking to these senior decision makers, you know, it really has to be about bringing into what they're trying to do. So if it's in the policy space, then it's, you know, they have, you know, they want to uh, demonstrate social value, they want to demonstrate sustainability, um, you know, the building safety bill is coming through, they've got lots of things that, you know, buildings need to be safe and sustainable and to work for people and society. So I think when you take that frame and you look at it like that, it changes the conversation completely. And I kind of can't give people specific, you know, uh, 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 lines to say to people, but I think, you know, you need to be thinking about the context of what mm -hmm. you're doing when you talk to those people. Um, but that does, you know, kind of sometimes come back down to money, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, but we'll stick to the point of yeah. construction can save the world, and we'll leave yeah. it there, shall we? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, everything needs to get paid for, and that, that's that's fine. It's just the question but of the reality, it, uh, so. Are you just changing the definition of value then, though, aren't you? So it's trying yes. to get away from understanding construction is capex, and really understanding what the, the social cost is, yeah. environmental cost. And you try and which is what the value toolkit tries to do to an extent, yeah. but also this more of a grandiose, um, sort of bigger picture as well that needs to be thought about in, in all that, not just the context of the project, but the context of the city, county, mm. country that you're in as well. When we let ourselves be data led, we make better decisions. And as long as our data is right, but that's the quote. As long as we let ourselves be, you know, led by the data, we'll make better decisions. Well, yeah, but. There's a big button on that. You've got to have the right data in the right place yeah, at the yeah, right time huge. as well. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I, li I like the I like the intention. I, work I, like, I like the intention. This is the you know, talking to those senior leaders. That's I I might miss out the big button. Just yeah. But there's work to do. Work to do. Yeah. No, I like the intention, and uh, we'll finish on that because it has been half an hour, Great. and I'm sure we could go on for another half hour. Maybe we do another one in a couple of weeks or something like just that. Just we just I mean just right now. Should we just press pause and start again? Lunch now? Should we Are you sure your the meatballs of the big lunch? Do you want meatballs again or something else? Uh, yeah, I think I'll go like for meatballs. Yeah. I'm going to go for meatballs again. Yeah, it's a meatball <laughs> anyway, day. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's wrap that up for today. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was very insightful. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, if they want to get in touch and things like that, uh, we will put in the uh, bio on um, YouTube. Sure. Some contact details for you. Yeah, a couple of uh, yeah. the CBBB. Uh, website and a couple of other things. Great. One of the uh, tools that CDBB have got that we haven't mentioned is there's a fantastic portal mm. that brings together all of the uh, reports and the knowledge and navigator. The knowledge navigator. Big kudos to Kirsten Lamb. <laughs> um, so we'll make yes. sure that we put that in because it is a fantastic tool for everyone to understand uh, where all that is. Um, so for everyone who has listened in today, tuned in, watched us, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, this week's episode of the Construction Big Breakfast. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share, all those other uh, fantastic things that you do uh, to make sure that your uh, friends, families and colleagues watch us as well. Is it on YouTube? It is on YouTube. Hit the bell icon so you're notified every time there's an upload. Oh, there you go. Same. Well, that's I was a lot I mean, that's subscribe. No, no, there's subscribe and then there's the notification. There's a bell. Yeah, right. yeah, the bell. Make sure, make sure. I mean... You're older than me and you know these things better. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was born born too early. Uh, yeah, and I've got two kids that do nothing but watch YouTube. I really should yeah, pay more attention. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, uh, lastly, um, <laughs> before this all gets edited out, uh, if you want to be a guest on the Construction uh, Big Breakfast or you'd like to collaborate with us in any other way, please visit 
us at www.invent.com. Uh, the link will also be in the description. Fill out the contact form and uh, we might see you on the next episode. Thank you very much. See you next time. Bye. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.